Heavenly Father, we pray that You would bless now the reading of Your Word. May You uh, teach us and uh, change us. By Your grace, we pray. Amen. I always found it interesting that Jesus began His public ministry not with a declaration of His love, but rather with an announcement about His rule and a corresponding summons that our lives might be rightly aligned to it, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus begins His ministry with a requirement that we repent. John the Baptist, too, Jesus' predecessor, um, characterized His entire ministry as one of repentance. He, he offered, He came bringing a baptism of repentance. At least from a biblical standpoint, then repentance is essential to our journey towards God. Repentance, as a word, is easy enough also for us to understand. It literally just means to change your mind. Change your mind. Uh, have your lives and minds changed in the opinion about yourself um, and in your opinion about the Lord. Turn away from yourself. Turn unto the Lord. Own up to what is true about ourselves and own up to what is true about God and His grace revealed for us in Jesus Christ. Repentance as an idea is easy enough to understand, right? Repentance is not hard to understand. It's hard to do. Right? That's the tricky part. That's the hard part because inevitably when we repent, we're talking about death, dying. Every time we enter into repentance, that we are coming into a kind of death. And who wants to die? Nobody. Will Willimans, some of you may have come across that sage Methodist minister, is one of my favorite preachers. He says, whatever the gospel means, we tell ourselves it could not mean death. It could not mean death. Love, divine or human, could never exact such a cost. Whatever God is getting at when He tells us to repent, can't be death. It can't be death. But what if it is? You know, as a pastor, if I've observed anything after more than 20 years of ordained ministry from believers and non-believers, others, and including myself, it's this idea that, that death cannot be part of what God is up to in my life in order for me to get grace. That that can't be part of the story. And of course, by death, I'm not referring to just losing the breath in our lungs. I'm talking about all of the losses that attend our lives as we endure the gospel. Relationships lost or not gained. Sacrifices required. Disappointments. Tragedies endured. Disasters not averted. Wills subjugated. Perspectives exposed. For their errors, desires not granted. We could go on, right? Death is all about, um, well, owning up to the truth about ourselves, our foolish pride, the dark impulses that gather in our hearts, our shame and our guilt. You see, for us to grab hold of life, we have to let go of death. And letting go of death is so hard when what that death is actually feels to us like life. See, that's the hard part. 
What God is saying is death actually to us many times feels like death. And that's the reason why repentance is so hard. It doesn't come to us naturally. It's not the natural inclination of our hearts. Prior to our coming to Christ, it's not natural. But even after we come to Christ, right, it's not natural. That's why Paul the Apostle tells us to crucify the old self with its passions. To mortify the flesh, as we read from the Catechism a few moments ago. To cultivate this work of dying to the old self that remains corruptible. And so to grow then, we have to lean into this this thing that's hard, repentance, that feels like death. And that's why Lent can be helpful to us. Because this is the whole idea to Lent. If Lent is to have any service in our lives in accord with the gospel, it's this. It helps us focus on how daily repentance is a necessary part of the Christian life. How our lives ought to be characterized by a daily repenting and submitting ourselves to the painful process of change. And that process, if you know anything about your heart, is not just painful, it's tricky. Right? It's There's a sinister nature to the old self that's at work in our heart because it will do anything. Its strategies are endless in its capacity to allow the old self to live and stave off death, to resist repentance. Because what we know about the old self is that that it will be just as happy with self-indulgence as self-renunciation. Right? It will be happy with either. Which means that in the old self, the legalist can be just as happy as the libertine or the licentiate Christian. We can do both, and the old self will be just as happy. Because strictly speaking, sanctification isn't about our duties, but it's about death. Think about how legalism works. It's about managing our lives. It's about building our identities. It's about trying to do something in order to we'll fill in the gaps, to fill in what we don't have or what we think that we need. We obey not out of the sheer delight and joy in the gospel and for our delight and joy in the following of the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather we feel that we're missing something or something is going to happen, and so we've got to manage it. That's what we do. It's about trying to do something in order to get that relationship with God. Right? Of course it includes the idea that we've got to do something for forgiveness or to secure our righteousness, but it's more subtle than that. It's about our management strategies for approval and love, success, wealth, health. You know the list. It's about all of that. It's about how we are trying to manage our lives to, to get to that thing that, that we want. It's trying to get that thing that we feel like the gospel hasn't provided for you, the gap. So it's a bargain. It's a management strategy. It's a contract. And we know that it's at work in our hearts when what we have well made the terms of the bargain are not returned. When, when we experience... The emotional um, dissonance, the upsetness, the disappointment, the frustration. When we find ourselves saying to God, why are you doing this to me? 
I have been such a good Christian. I have worked so hard. I have played by the book. I did it right. How can this be? How can this be happening in my life? I did it the right way. You see, that's the problem with, with the legalist. Is it thinks it begins to lead live as though our sanctification was a, was a matter of just strict obedience. It was a formula. It was a contract. If I do the right things, then the right outcomes will resort. But it was never that way. We could never crucify the old self. That's why Jesus had to come. Paul, when he speaks about our crucifixion of the old self, he always predicates it upon the prior crucifixion of our life in Jesus Christ, that we have already been crucified. You see, the death, the, the ultimate death, the final death that needed to happen was not the one that we would create for ourselves, but rather the one that we have in and through Jesus Christ. And so a proper view of our sanctification has to always be focused on His perfect obedience. We can't kill the old self. He did it. But then, we can do it. We can participate in it. And that's why Paul warns the Colossians in his letter from chapter 3, the passage that Anne read a moment ago. Don't get wrapped up in this idea that if you touch the wrong things or taste the wrong things or if you handle the wrong things, that somehow you're... You're hurting your sanctification. Or if you, if you do these things or avoid these things, that somehow you're going to promote sanctification just by the sheer doing of it. Whatever the strategies out there, it doesn't have power. He says there are no value of stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so when we think about Lent as it applies to the legalistic impulse of our heart, maybe the best way that it can serve us is by reminding us that there's nothing we can give up that will by automation, just by the doing of it, bring sanctification to our lives. We have to die to the notion that we can do anything like that, that it works that way. So, so think, th- think of it. We have to die to the idea that we can manage it, secure it, prevent it, demand it, change it, create it, prove it. Those are all just strategies. And ironically, they're strategies that our old self has created so that we can avoid doing what we say we're doing in Lent, dying, but we're not. We're living. We're living through the legalistic impulse. And that's keeping us from Christ. And that's why, for some of us, the best thing we can do at Lent is die to all of the ways we're trying to manage and secure our lives. If we want to grow, we have to be killed. And let Jesus be enough. That's what we have to do. That's the legalist. But what about the libertine? The one who thinks that they have to indulge every whim or desire. And to that one, the one who thinks that everything that I want must be gratified, well, the more traditional notion of repentance actually applies. That's why we read Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart, right? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Take away my sins that I might walk in the newness of life. See, that's what's going on in the heart of the libertine or the licentious, the self-indulgent Christian. It's the idea that if I don't get this this thing, this desire, wish, if I don't indulge it, that I'm not being, um, I'm not going to be okay. I'm going to 
I'm going to do violence to, to my life. It's, it's going to be dangerous, destructive. I'm going to be inauthentic. Um, it's going to do damage to, to my life. That, if I don't have that experience, whatever it is, if I don't have that possession, if I don't have that relationship or that trip or that luxury, that somehow it's going to cost me. And, and yes, it's going to cost you. That's what's going to feel like death. And yet, it's, it's death to think that if I have that thing, whatever it is, that will bring life to me. It won't. See, that's what we have to die to in our sin. Because every sin is the promise of life. But it's actually death. And this is where, ironically, the, the, the disciplines we, we like to think of during the Lenten season can actually help us. Like fasting, seasons of prayer, Bible reading, intensive meditation, lots of spiritual disciplines that are intentional practices that may be in the service of our sanctification because they help us lean against the ways that we want to indulge our flesh. They can actually be helpful for us because we're actively denying ourselves and coming across the ways in which we're learning that, you know, Jesus, you really are enough. I don't need that thing. I don't need that experience, that possession, that whatever it is. And I can begin to learn that in Christ, we have the beautiful and sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in which is found true life. So there you go. Lent's tricky. We can practice it and not grow. We can observe it and grow. But it all depends on how we're processing Christ. How we're understanding our hearts. It's tricky. So we have to take ourselves seriously during the season of Lent. Some of you know that I'm a fan of Flannery O'Connor. And one of her uh, short stories, one of my favorites, is entitled Good Country People. And um, in the story, Good Country People, there is a 32-year-old woman named Holga. Her given name was Joy. Uh, But in rebellion to her um, self-righteous, good country woman mother... Um, she changed it to Holga, a name that she knew her mother would despise. And not only does Holga not like her mother, and not only is she an atheist, she's also a PhD who lost her leg in a childhood shooting accident, and so she wears a prosthetic leg. And so she's she's an interesting figure, (laughs) you might say, in, in, in the story. But at one point in the story, she's howling at her mother, and she says to, to this self-righteous good country woman who would never raise her voice, she says, do you ever take a look inside? Do you ever look inside and see what you are not? It's a great question. Do you ever look inside and see what you are not? easy, right, for us to spot the physical deformities in uh, others, the material deficiencies in others, and even in ourselves. It's harder, Edna Hong says, to spot a spiritual hunchback. 
a spiritual dwarf, a spiritual cripple. In fact, it's easier for us to spot the deformities, spiritually speaking, in the hearts and lives of the people around us. What's hardest is to do that in our own life, right? To see how we are spiritually crippled and hunched over. And if we're to do that, we have to take the long, difficult look inside. That's what we have to do if we're going to discover who we really are and lean into the gospel and grab hold of it. We have to stop pretending that what the Lord accepts as normal and as okay is actually not something that's graceless and loveless. We have to own up to the truth about ourselves. And if we do that, it will feel at times like death. It really will. It will feel like you're dying. When the legalist gives up control, it feels like death. When the libertine gives up its addiction, it feels like death. And yet out of that struggle, what happens? God brings His life. His life rushes in. Grace rushes in. The resurrection rushes in. And the joy and life of Christ begins to grow a little stronger. A little stronger. And life is quickened in our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that this season of Lent, this 40-day season, we might have the opportunity uh, to die uh, to those things that characterize our old self, our legalistic tendencies and our licentiate tendencies, that we might be quickened unto new life in Jesus Christ, Help us to remember that what you have done is final and secure and sufficient. And that what you've called us to do flows forth from that final, secure, and sufficient work. That we might more truly know and treasure your grace. Do this, we pray in your name. Amen.